Good morning. My name is Dan. I'm a leader here at Grace Fellowship. It's a privilege to open the book of Mark. We're in chapter 10. We're going to talk about kids today. When I was a kid, um, I didn't mind. I don't know about you guys, if any of you went to public school. I didn't mind sitting at a desk and learning in a classroom. Okay. The social stuff, maybe not so much, but the learning was cool. And, um, and there was a part of school, though, that I liked a lot more than sitting in the classroom. And uh, that was field trip day. Anybody remember field trip day? Going to museums, parks, things like that. What made it so special to me was instead of just sitting there and learning the theories, which were fine, I could then go and I could see those theories in action. And that made everything just sink in a little bit more. That's how, how life is. You can hear something. And you can learn it, but when you actually see it lived out, something something clicks for you. Hopefully. Last week in the book of Mark, Jesus kind of blew the mind of his disciples with the principles of what it meant to follow him. In short, it meant giving up the selfish ambition of becoming great and instead choosing to become less. And that teaching uh, didn't go down too smoothly. But Jesus really wants them to get it, so today he's going to take them on a field trip. Jesus is going to show them people who want to be great, which is bad, and he's going to show them people who are happy to be less, which is good. And the hope there is that we can learn from this example, that we can see more deeply what it means to actually follow Jesus. And what it means to not follow him. Now there are a pair of terms, kind of quick ways to identify these two groups of people. And I'm going to use those terms a lot today, so I'm just going to stop right now and and define them. The first group is the people who want to be great, and they're referred to as hard-hearted. I don't know if you've ever heard that one before. Hard-hearted. They're kind of unaware of their sin. And so Jesus, when he speaks, when he tells them, to become less, they just kind of clench up in pride. When Jesus speaks, they kind of back away. The second group, well, they're they're happy to be less, and you know what? They're actually called soft-hearted. Because when they see Jesus, when they hear Jesus, it's good news. They move toward him. And only one group gets to be with Jesus. And you can probably guess what that group is. The goal today is to help help you understand and help us all understand which group are we actually in. So let's start the field trip. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10. We're going to do the first 16 verses. And we're first going to learn about the hard-hearted. And then we'll take a look at the soft-hearted. Let's pray. God, I think that the hardest thing about having a hard heart is that a hard-hearted often don't know their hearts are hard. Um, Lord, we can we can come in every week to a fantastic church. We can be in small groups. We can we can even open up the word on a regular basis, but Lord, it can mean nothing to us. Our hearts can be hard even in the midst of doing all these good things. Lord, help us to take a good long look in the mirror at who we are and then help us look upward and see who you are so that our hearts can be soft. And we can love you and be with you forever. Amen. I'm going to do the first uh, 12 
verses, as we look at the, the hard-hearted, they get the lion's share of the text. And um, so we're going to look at our hard hearts. I'll read the first 12 verses. And Jesus left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to him, said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you that commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So this is a strange field trip. He's talking about divorce right off the bat. What does this have to do with kids? Bear with me. We'll get there. So what happens is Jesus has been privately teaching his disciples, and now he goes public with them. They go on the field trip. And as they meet the crowds and as Jesus teaches them, he is challenged very openly, let me add, by the Pharisees. So you imagine the scene. A big crowd appears. Jesus is teaching. And to the front come the Pharisees. They're starting something. And, um, and their question is this. Is divorce lawful? So perhaps he was teaching on a related subject. And that's, that's kind of a strange question to ask. Is divorce lawful? Because what they do is they give them a yes or no question. If you ever ask one of those, somebody comes up, they're kind of fired up, and they give you a yes or no question. But I think Jesus knows better than to answer a yes or no question when it comes from the Pharisee. Because it's kind of loaded, isn't it? Ever answer a loaded yes or no question? You kind of want to give option C, but there is no option C. Jesus makes an option C here. He does a little judo. He kind of flips the question back on them. And he says, what did Moses command you? In other words, what does God's word say? That's what he's saying here. He's making them answer, and they do, kind of. Here's what they say. Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce to send her away. In other words, yeah, we can divorce. Moses said we could. Uh-oh. So I think the trap is set a little bit. They took a description. They didn't appeal to some popular celebrity of the day. They took it to Deuteronomy. Moses did write that. It's in Deuteronomy 24. Did you even know that? If you don't, watch out. You might get snared by a Pharisee. But here's the thing. That quote is actually part of a very, very big sentence in Deuteronomy, which is part of a very big paragraph in Deuteronomy, which is Deuteronomy, which is huge. And um, I'm not going to exposit all of it, but I'm just going to expand the verse a little bit 
to show you what's going on underneath this quote. Here it is. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, and it goes on and on. And the situation here in Deuteronomy is about multiple divorcing and widowing. It's actually pretty messed up. And the word indecency is the crucial word that you got to look at to interpret this mess in Let's interpret this mess in a correct way. Because indecency is referring to adultery. It's referring to a way in which a wife and a husband, something's wrong because one party did something that God forbids. In other words, the reason for this divorce that happened in Deuteronomy was adultery. Which is elsewhere, even by Jesus, called legitimate grounds for divorce. But the Pharisees haven't talked about any of those details. They've just asked if, if divorce is lawful. They want a yes or a no. And why do they want a yes or a no? Think about it. If Jesus says, yes, it's lawful, then they say, right, like Moses said here in Deuteronomy 24, and then everyone who wants to get a divorce can just go get one, including some of the Pharisees. Maybe that's why they were asking. I don't know. Because that's what people were doing in that day. They were just writing certificates when they felt like it and cutting off marriages. But here's the thing. If Jesus says no, it's not lawful, then they pull that little piece out of Deuteronomy on him and they rile the crowd up and say, this guy hates the law. This guy rejects God. And then Jesus goes from miracle worker to rebel. So you can see why a yes or a no answer is not a good idea. So Jesus doesn't give them that answer. Instead, he says this, because of your hardness of heart, Moses wrote that commandment. There's that word, hard-hearted. Circle it. What are their hearts hardened against? What's the hardening that's happened? What's so wrong with this scene? To answer this, Jesus goes bigger. He doesn't talk about divorce. Jesus starts talking about marriage. And he goes right to the first book of the Bible to do it. He goes to Genesis. And he says things here. God made them male and female. Big, broad statements. Man might hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. What God has joined together, let man not separate. That was a beautiful picture in Genesis, wasn't it? Just imagine that. A marriage that would never end. This is Genesis. They're not affected by sin yet. A marriage that would last as long as the body did. That's a beautiful picture. Adam and Eve weren't affected by sin in those days, but then they were. And trust was shaken between husband and wife. And as generations passed, more and more marriages were broken. And families were destroyed for generations. Some of your families are feeling the reverberations of that. Hard hearts did this. And let me pause and clarify. It's not always because both hearts are hard in a marriage that divorce happens, right? 
In 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul adds that there are times when divorce papers can be signed. When an unbelieving spouse initiates a separation. Consider these examples. Maybe this is you. One spouse wakes up and the other has just disappeared. They leave a note, they leave the kids. Or things become abusive and the safety of one's spouse is in question. So there are exceptions. There are exceptions. But remember, if you focus only on the exceptions, if you're driven by the exceptions and not the intent of marriage, you're going to miss the main point, just like the Pharisees did. Marriage is about commitment, not abandonment. And that's a picture of God's commitment to us. So any professing Christian who divorces their spouse out of convenience or a change of feelings, they say they love God, they walk out on their wife, that person commits adultery if they start a new relationship. What God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, if that describes you, or if that describes your mom or your dad, or somebody in your family, please know that repentance and forgiveness are totally available. Just like any sin. It's not special. Marriage and divorce issues get complicated so quickly. So please, speak to me. Speak to one of the elders. If you'd like more counsel on that. Because the heart of ministry is reconciliation. That's why we do ministry. But the Pharisees, like a lot of people today, they don't care about the heart. They don't want reconciliation. They have cherry-picked a verse that fits their desires. This is what they've done. They've tried to bend God's will instead of be shaped by it, and so they bend God's word. They look around and they say, what verse, what chapter, what little piece of what verse fits what I want? That's the definition of a hard heart. To hear God's word and to clench up in pride. God, you say this, but no, I say this. And in the case of the Pharisees, they're actually twisting God's word and they're preaching them. They're in the worst position in the universe, aren't they? Because they have so much by earthly standards. Their health, their riches, their popularity. But they have no regard for God. And in that, they have nothing. Their hearts are hard. And the sad thing is, is we don't see any resolution for them here in this story. We just cut ahead to the next scene. Now, thankfully, during this time, and, uh, and unlike earlier passages, Jesus' disciples don't say anything. They're quiet during this part of the field trip. Perhaps a little quiet because their idols came down. I mean, the disciples were guys that would worship the Pharisees. They wanted that wealth. They wanted the riches. And they just saw Jesus take down their boys. Maybe they're quiet because of that. I don't know. But either way, for some reason, later they re-asked the marriage question. And Jesus privately and plainly and kindly confirms his position. So in a nutshell, here's what happened on this stop of the field trip. The Pharisees, with their hard hearts bent against Jesus 
twisted God's word and they missed the whole point. And Jesus, who is one with God, correctly interprets God's word. In fact, he takes part of God's word and uses it to explain another part of God's word because he sees the whole picture. How does this apply to you? Here's your application. How you handle the Bible reveals your heart. How you handle the Bible reveals your heart. In other words, if you love the Bible, it's because you love God. You read it. Not just on Sundays. You read it. You consult it when you're making decisions. When you get to a passage and you're tempted to skip over it because you're like, man, that's intense. You don't skip it. You pray about it. In fact, you call up people and you're like, let's get together and look at this. You want to know it because you want to know God. Because your heart is soft. It's ready to be molded by God himself. But if you hate the Bible, or even worse, I might add, if you're apathetic about it, you don't care about God. You don't read it except maybe on Sunday. And even then you're just kind of... You don't consult it when you're making decisions. You don't study the Bible with other people. In fact, you skip parts that seem hard or uninteresting. I get it. Stuff like numbers, you know, people complain about that all the time. You know, I was doing real good in my Bible plan until I got the numbers. I'm not saying it's not complicated, but don't give up. If you do, if you ignore verses that tell you what you don't want to hear, your heart is hard. You don't like God. Now, what happens to both of these hearts? Let's continue the field trip as we take a look at a soft heart. I'm going to read verses 13 through 16. This is the second point of your outline. Soft hearts joyfully receive God forever. Verses 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So people here, I guess we're still in the house, people come to Jesus and they're bringing children. Perhaps to be healed or blessed. The individual cases are not the author's focus. The author doesn't care how smart the kids are, how smart the kids' parents are, what nationality they are. What Mark does detail here is the response of the disciples. They actually rebuke the people for not, for bringing their kids. And Jesus is indignant as this. It's a fun word to say. Indignant. He's displeased. He's angry at the treatment of the children. And that phrase, indignant, it's actually pretty special here. It's used several times in the Gospels. And you know what? Every other time it's used to describe the disciples or the Pharisees. But not here. This is the only case where that, where that word is used to describe Jesus. He was indignant here. 
He's displeased. He's angry at what has just happened. The treatment of the children. Do you remember the last time Jesus was with children? That's you last week, chapter 9. That looks kind of familiar. Jesus, uh, Jesus said there, whoever receives a child like this, he was holding a kid, remember? Whoever receives a child like this, small child receives me, and whoever receives me receives God. Jesus is indignant because those dependent children whom the disciples now have just pushed away, Jesus is aligning himself with those children. That's what he did back in chapter 9. He didn't align himself with the Pharisees. He aligned himself with little kids. As if to say, you push them away, you're pushing me and you're pushing God away. That's a strong stance. So Jesus pushes back with an even stronger alignment here in chapter 10. He says, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. That's a strong stance. Why does he say that? I've been reading a book called A Praying Life. It's a great book. And in it I read this, just this past week. When Jesus tells us to be like little children, he isn't telling us to do anything that he isn't already doing himself. Jesus is, without question, the most dependent person who ever lived. He always talked about his father. He always made time to be with his father. In fact, he said himself, apart from the father, I can do nothing. In other words, Jesus aligns himself with the kids because he himself is fully dependent on God. He knows dependence. And so the best thing you can do is be dependent on Jesus. Because Jesus is fully dependent on God. You want to get to God? Get to Jesus. You want to depend on God? Depend on Jesus. Now let's just take a moment and let's back up and let's look at the big picture. Because something kind of crazy is happening. First, I want you to consider the qualities of the Pharisees we just talked about. They're not in the text, but you know from Pharisees what they're capable of, what they have. The Pharisees are intelligent. In fact, I bet one Pharisee probably has more scripture memorized than everybody in here. They had huge chunks. Some of them memorized the entire Torah. Numbers. Yeah. <laughs> they were intelligent. They were well-liked. They had the crowds. They knew how to speak. They were usually wealthy. What did they not have? Dependency on Jesus. So they had nothing. Now, let's contrast that with the children. What do the children have? How much value do they have culturally? We talked about this last week. They got nothing. Their, their, their parents or whoever brought them, you know, probably brought them, you know, today, you know, the parent brings you in a van, you can't even drive, you know. People got to tell you where to go. You got to eat with whatever people give you. Totally dependent. But what do they have? They have dependency on Jesus. Here they are, ready to come to him. And you know what? Because of that, they have everything. 
that Jesus is saying to the disciples and to us, having a soft heart isn't just how you're supposed to live here. That's how you get my kingdom. So this teaching about being small, about being dependent, this isn't just moral living. Jesus isn't just saying, do this, and that's how you live here. He's saying, that's the key to me. That's my kingdom, as he points to the children. But his next words are a prophecy for absolutely everyone else. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter shall not enter it. In other words, hard-hearted people like the Pharisees, no matter how religious, no matter how rich, no matter how loved, no matter how powerful they are, they go to hell unless their hearts are sovereign. That's the end for them. And the disciples seem like they're heading down that track too. And maybe you are. I don't know what you look like in your private moments. I don't know if you really love Jesus. I don't know that. When I think about the dependency of a kid, I was reminded of it. Because I have kids. Just this past Monday, I met my wife. We had lunch. And um, I walk in, and, and my, my, my daughter, Rosie, had, hadn't seen me that day. So, like, whoa, like 18 hours went by without seeing Dad. Look out. And um, she had slept in that morning before, I, and I left for work. So I get there at lunch, and she doesn't know I'm coming, so I walk in. And she just starts jumping up and down on the chair. She's like, Daddy! She's so excited. So excited. And I'm like, okay, sit out here. I'm going to go get us some food. I'm in line. And she's like looking over the booth like like the whole time. I'm like checking my phone. I look up. She's like, I look down. I look back up. You know, she's just not breaking the gaze. Now, sometimes it's possible for a kid to do that because they want something out of you, right? You know? They come up and they're super sweet because they want to watch a show. They want candy or something like that. Nah. She didn't care about the food. She just wanted to be with her dad. That's what it is. That's what Jesus is talking about. When he says, be like a kid, he's not saying, don't have a budget. <laughs> he's not saying, you know, don't care for your stuff. He's not saying, let the toys pile up in your room. There's Proverbs for that. That's right, moms. That's right. You got them on your wall. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about dependency. He's talking about dependency. That's the key to God's kingdom. How does this apply to us? How does this apply to us? Here's your application. Delight in Jesus forever. Write that down. Delight in Jesus forever. Because Jesus incarnates every good thing we just talked about. Every good thing. He's perfectly dependent on God. So you can trust him, and you can trust his word. You don't have to bend it, because you can trust Jesus. He wrote that. And you know what? It doesn't even stop there, because Jesus is the perfect picture of what marriage should be, and he was single. Because you know what? He's perfectly committed to you, and I mean that. Because no matter how happy you are here, or out there, I know some of you guys are super happy all the time, but I know you guys got dark moments. I know you guys got moments late at night, shoot, maybe on the way here, maybe on the way home. I don't know what you're believing. I don't know what you're wrestling with. 
But in those dark moments, like maybe you failed somebody deeply, maybe you've been maybe you've been let down your entire life. So here's a question for you. Do you believe that one day Jesus is going to get up, he's going to pack his bags, he's going to sign the divorce papers, and he's going to walk out? Do you think he's going to do that? Because if that's what you've seen here, or that's what your dad did, or that's what your mom did, you probably think that's what Jesus is going to do too. Because if you've experienced that pain, you're going to have a hard time believing people, and you're going to have a hard time believing God's word, because you have a hard time believing God, because he let that happen. But here's a picture of why you should believe Jesus. It's from the same book I quoted earlier, and the author says this. Jesus' total dependency on God is why contemplating the terror of the cross was such an agony for him. That's why he sweat blood, if you've ever read that verse. Jesus had never before experienced a moment when he wasn't in communion with his Father. Here's what that means. Jesus, for all time, had total dependence and perfect fellowship with God And he loved you so much that he willingly, through torture and through death, not just the signing of papers, severed that tie. And he did that so that you, who divorced yourself from him, could be remarried. You see the connection? He was fully dependent on God. He had no reason to not be. And he severed that so he could be committed to you forever. Does that soften your heart this morning a little bit? It softens mine a little bit. Because no matter what you've done or no matter what you've been through, you can actually be like a child again. Because I know when I know if you have kids, you look at them and you think back to when life was that simple. And then it got complicated. And then things got messed up. Or maybe you messed them up. And you think, I can't do that again. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. You gotta clean the room, you gotta do a budget, but you can do that stuff. <laughs> because here's the thing you don't have to have anything that the Pharisees have. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be well liked. It doesn't matter. You have Jesus, you got everything. And you know what? Jesus can actually renew your mind, you can actually learn to love His Word, the Bible. You can learn to read it. You can learn to understand it. Jesus can renew your desires. You can actually learn to not twist the Bible. You might be twisting it now. You don't have to. You can actually stop doing that. Jesus says you've got to stop doing that. So that you're not twisting the Bible to your liking, but you're actually transformed by it. That's what can actually happen. Because of Jesus' commitment to you. And you can learn to run to community rather than from it. I know some of you guys do that. Keep avoiding getting time with people. Keep avoiding those deep conversations. You can actually learn to love community. You've got to love Jesus first. 
That's the thing, though. Community can help you do that. Even if you're not feeling it, you just go do it in faith. And when you fail, when you sin, or when you sin against, here's the thing. You can just get right back up and you can just go to your dad. Not to sit outside the gate. Not to sit there pretending there's divorce papers. You don't have to... You don't have to be reminded of all the hurt that you've experienced or all the hurt that you've caused. You don't have to do that. You just go right to your dad. He won't leave you. He died for you. Why would he leave you now? So let's consider the last verse. Verse 16 is a bit of a uh, benediction. Verse 16, Jesus draws near the children, blessing them. He He didn't care where they were from. He didn't care how smart they were. He didn't care how sick or how healthy they were. Some of them might have been adopted. Some of them might have came alone. Jesus blessed all of them. So in the same way, let's ask Jesus to bless us and soften our hearts right now. Let's pray. Dear Lord, the reason we can be dependent on you is because you're committed to us. Lord, we thank you so much that you give the disciples such a clear picture. You want them to get it so much that you just walk out in the middle of a crowd and you take on Pharisees and you risk getting shamed publicly and you risk people mocking you and you do it so that the disciples would know you and love you more. And you did it so that we would know you and love you more. But more than anything, Lord, you didn't just teach good things. You didn't just know God's word. You died for people that hated you. I thank you so much that you have such a strong desire to save us that we can actually be remarried to you. We can be committed to you. You can be both our dad and our spouse. That's how complex but how good it is. That's how intense the love you have for us is. Lord, would you help us to apply this to our marriages, to our families, to even our singleness? Would you help us to remember that you're the spouse of the many families? Amen.